Hi, Katie. Hi, Erica. Happy Book Talk Day. Happy Book Talk Valentine's Day recording day. <laughs> yeah, we're recording this very early. <laughs> Should we say that? No, I think it's fine. We got a we got a head start on the on the push. Yeah, like we read it this morning and we're recording at noon level of head start. Welcome to Book Talk. Book Talk is a weekly podcast where we read a section of a book and then we talk about it. So we are starting our new book, The Push. If you're just joining us with this book, we're so happy that you're here. Sorry, this book is a bit of a downer. It is. I think it's going to be good, though, because people I was telling someone about the book last night and I was like, it's going to be kind of intense. And I feel like a lot of the books we've discussed have like intense underlying themes but I I think that's because we're taking the time to dissect those um but I think people who you know are like a lot of people I know that watch like Grey's Anatomy or Law and Order before bed or like really intense emotional things will really like this book I'm not those people but I'm excited to try (laughs) we will only be reading in the mornings (laughs) I think that's a good thing for me to do Okay, so in this first section of the book, we kind of start at the end um, with Blythe watching Fox with his new family through the window. And then we rewind back and learn the whole love story of Blythe and Fox all the way through um, their first child, Violet's first birthday. In between that, we have snippets of Cecilia, Blythe's mother, and Etta, her grandmother's childhood as well. Um, And we really get to see how much Blythe is struggling with being a new mom in this first section. What do you think so far of Ashley's writing style and how she's telling this story? Well, I really like the way that she writes. I think she it's kind of written like a letter. I feel like it's very easy to read. Uh, It reminds me of last time we were reading Such a Fun Age. They said that Kylie Reed's prose was like deceptively easy. And I feel like this is too. Um, And in both of those cases, I feel like that allows you to like get into the story. You're not trying to dissect what everything is meaning you just get to like imagine and she does a really good job of setting the scene so you get to feel like you're there you can really sense what's happening it reminds me a lot of we need to talk about kevin which is written in a similar style it's like a letter kind of telling the story of what happened it's also like very similar topically it'll be interesting to see how this transitions um we need to talk about kevin is about like a mom of a troubled child I think in this book, we're going to be, it's going to be unclear who is troubled or both. Like, is it um, Blythe? That's, is it Blythe? Is it Violet? Is it both of them? You know, what's, what's with the quote women in this family as we're um, told from Cecilia, I believe in this section. I like it. I wonder who this letter is written towards. So we get like in the end of the very first scene, you know, we have her saying, like, oh, she looks over and there's, like, a stack of papers next to her. Um, and she wants to tell her side of the story. And I think, well, I got the impression that that was for um, Fox's new wife. But I don't know. Did you think it was for Fox? Or what? who do you think that, like, I thought that was a more of, like, a meta moment of, like, that is the book that we're about to read are the papers that were next to her. Um, but it's not clear who she's writing that for. Yeah, I do think that was the moment. These are the papers. Um Well, I guess I just started this book assuming she was writing it for Fox, the one who was like in her with it, but or in it with her. (laughs) Um, But I think now that you're saying that it could just as easily be for Violet to like explain what happened because she's no longer in her life. Or I guess for the new wife, because she is 
I feel like she's constantly trying to seek out someone who gets her in the beginning part of this. She sees that girl at the coffee shop and she's like, oh my God, someone who's not just like blissfully happy with motherhood, you know, and she just like wants someone to understand her and how she's feeling. Um, And so maybe she's trying to get his new wife to be like, I'm not a bad person or, you know, explain her side of it. Like this wasn't, we don't know what will happen. So I feel like she's trying to say it wasn't my fault, but I don't know what that is yet. I like the idea that it could be for Violet um, maybe to try and like resolve the unresolved trauma that is kind of running through this side of the family. I think that's an optimistic um, point of view. Like I think she could be trying to resolve it or she could be trying to be like warning her. Okay. Um, So what do you think about the characters so far and who we know? So I think you start with the main characters so far, Blythe and Violet. Okay, well, I just have to, again, be the annoying person who's like, okay, the p- the characters' names in this book are Edda, Cecilia, Blythe, and Fox. Never in my life have I met anyone with those four names. <laughs> I'm like, are they in, like, is it, are they in Great Britain? But, like, still, I've been, I don't think I've ever even heard of a person named Fox. So that is, like, very annoying to me. Also, Blythe. Okay, Blythe is a common name. I've never met a Blythe. Okay, well, I think that might be a new problem. (laughs) Also, again, we have our hot tea. She drinks hot tea in the morning when she's writing because, God, no one drinks coffee. I need a statistic about, She goes to the coffee shop with the kid, like, every day. She has the tea in the morning, and then she goes to get a coffee. I need some statistics about this. (laughs) I I think we are vastly overrepresenting women drinking tea in books. It's like Mm -hmm. there was a there was a good TikTok of like things that like what are movie tropes that once you see it, you'll never unsee it. And one is like the coffee cups are always empty. And as soon as you start Mm -hmm. noticing how weird it is that someone's holding an empty coffee cup, like the weight is just off. Um, That's how I feel about hot tea now. It's my trigger. (laughs) Okay, I have two points to make on this. One, you are drinking hot tea often while we record these. Okay. I do coffee first, then tea. Fair. Okay, anyway. Second thing. No, I just need to point this out. I was watching Gilmore Girls last night for like the 70th time probably in a row. And at one scene, they walk into the diner and they sit down at a table people had eaten at before them. And they're like calling Luke over to like clear the table. And I was like, I bet they're going to drink out of those coffee cups that are somebody else's. And at the end of the scene, they pick them up, cheers, and drink out of them. And I was like, oh, they forgot to replace them. Like, oh, the writers of that show. Oh, that's so funny. Wow. Yikes. Okay. That's disgusting. Um, Okay. So in terms of the other characters, I... I mean, it was just, like, very disturbing, the scenes with Cecilia and Edda um, and the way that they all treat each other, basically. Um, and then, like, the way it flows down into Blythe, like, ignoring Violet when she's crying. Like, oh, man. I love it. Like, I love it. I love this because I think it's breaking, like, a norm. Like, I'm honestly so used to reading. This is so sad. But I'm so used to, like, reading and having presentations of media of male violence against women, which, to be fair, is way, 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 way more common. But um, it was interesting to focus on, like, troubled moms um, in... And they're not being... They're not, uh, you know, presented in a way that's sympathetic. 
It's like what they did is horrible. She locked her in like a pickle cupboard and left her there. Like, oh my. Oh, I agree. The mothers like you're not sympathetic towards them in reading about it. Um, And I think they rarely when you read a story about someone's awful childhood, like Blythe's awful childhood, do you also get the picture of what her mother's and her grandmother's childhood looks like? Because we see this story starting all the way back when Etta is like a happy kid and falls in love. And then, um, you know, her dad is like awful to her husband. And I feel like the her bonds of trust with the world are like broken by that incident. Um, and, you know, you can just see how it like ruins her and then how that leads down all the way to Violet's childhood. I found Fox's response to Blythe like really frustrating because – he kept just being like, oh, you're going to be a great mom. I know it. That's not going to be you. Don't worry about it. And like kind of glossing over like the times where he could have asked more or like leaned in to like tell me more about your mom. Like it's really surprising to me to. I don't know. I think she's also avoiding it. I don't want to say it was all him, but like to never really go there and be like, why isn't your mom around? Um, Where did she go? And then also to not only ignore that side of your partner's life, but to then just tell them, like, it's going to be fine. You're not going to be that way. Like, I know you're not going to be that way. Because then it puts some pressure on them to change. Like, you know, one time I was, I have a close person in my life who um, is sober. And I was talking to someone else about that situation who is a longtime AA, has been in recovery for a while, but spent a lot of time in and out of recovery. That's all to say that when someone is like struggling with a mental illness or with addiction, one of the really difficult things in that process is the weight of other people's expectations and the guilt of other people, which then leads to like hiding behaviors. It's like, well, I know you're going to be really disappointed because you are telling me it's so important to me. I'm so proud of you for being sober. This means so much to me. It actually can become this like warped cycle of like him telling her you will be a great mom despite the evidence (laughs) or despite the real difficulty is just going to drive her away from being honest with him when things do come up and instead you can be really realistic and be like I'm happy for you but I'm here for you like whatever and just not put that like guilt on her but obviously we see he puts that guilt on her he finds out you know he comes home that one time when the baby's crying and guilt her about it for the next like year I didn't like the way that he you know responded to her when she's clearly struggling but also um even before that I feel like yeah, he never pushes her. He never makes her talk about it. And I feel like he's, you know, maybe part of him is trying to not force her past where she's comfortable, but also like when things get really real, like when she's literally birthing the baby, it's all going to come up anyways. Like you're going to have to deal with it at some point. But I feel like he's almost afraid to talk about it because he, if you say it out loud, if you like talk about the fact that she may not be a good mom, that she's terrified, that she doesn't know what to do, that, you know, she's scared of who she'll be after, then you're almost afraid of making it true. Like he's afraid that if he talks about it, it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy and all of her worst fears will come true. But you don't have any control over that anyways. And at least he could have been there for her a little bit more. But yeah, like you said, now she's hiding all the things that she's doing just to survive the day to day, 
Whereas if she was being honest with him, maybe he could have stepped up, stepped up to help more or at least been there for her more or recognized her pain. Even when she tells him, he's not like, okay, this is, this is okay. This is you know normal. This happens. Let's maybe, let's get a night nurse. Let's get a nanny during the day. Like they clearly have enough money to do so. I mean, his mom is the one who did that. And I feel like he's just basically blaming her instead of being like, how can I support her? He's just like, what? what is wrong with you when she like has that scary moment yeah I also think she had the same impulse which is if we don't talk about it it won't matter if I don't think about my mom she won't matter um but clearly it does matter and yeah the only you know my this is like such a cheesy yoga quote but the only way out is through it's really true it's like you can't run around these issues. You have to go through them. And you're right. It's like when you try and avoid those difficult conversations, it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse until the universe smacks you in the face with it. Right. I mean, it will eventually boil over. Like it's not, you cannot avoid it forever. You are having a baby and you are scared of being a mom. So like that's probably going to come up again. <laughs> I feel, I feel bad for her though. She so badly wants to be, the wife and the mother that he like expects her to be. And I just feel like it not only weighs on her that she's struggling, but also that she's consistently failing to meet his expectations, which just makes it so much worse. And it's not just him. It's also, you know, society and how, what we expect of mothers and also what we understand about motherhood. Like I think she does a good job. Ashley does a good job in the book of also being like motherhood destroys your body. Like, you physically feel horrible after you have a baby. And here's all of the ways why. And here's how difficult it is. And here's how your child can be a flipping nightmare. Um, And that's realistic. But again, we don't see that. You know, we watch, like, One Born Every Minute or, like, those baby shows. And it's like, here's your beautiful baby. Okay, goodbye. And, like, the rest of it is edited out. So I think it's his expectation, but it's also, like, society's expectations. I do feel like we're getting away from that in society a little bit of pretending like moms need to be perfect. And I talk about this a lot with um, some of my close mom friends, how it used to be so unbalanced to this point where moms were just expected to go home and look like a normal, their normal selves and live their normal life with their baby the day after, super happy. And then we got social media and everybody talks about like, how awful it is how you like you know you never get to wear clean clothes or go on a date or hang out with your husband or like you know so we've kind of like swung the pendulum the other way but I do think a lot of that is just on social media I mean I'm not a mom so I don't know like how this happens in mom circles if it really is changing in society but I feel like every time she meets these other mothers they're all like yeah it's really hard and then they feel this like impulse and it could be what they truly feel, but they can't just be like, yeah, I had a rough day. They're like, but also greatest gift of my life to have this rough day. You know, like couldn't imagine it without this day because then I wouldn't have this baby. And so there's still this like part of them that's like, I can't just be like, yeah, this morning was hard and commiserate. Like I have to just defend it by being like, but I'm grateful. Don't worry. Like I love this baby. And I feel like she feels like they're not lying. She's And they might not be lying. Like they don't have to be lying. I just think there's no space for anything except for that. Someone had a cell phone, so it's hard to, like, place exactly where we are in time. But, yeah, it's like, God, she just needs, like, a support group on freaking Reddit where she can be anonymous and talk about how hard it is. Yeah, I think that is one of the good things we've gotten out of social media is, like, you can find people who are struggling. You don't – if you need that support. And I feel like that's what's so hard about this, um, like, 
we can have the nature versus nurture debate on how she's raising Violet. But I think we also have to put into that debate that she doesn't have really support that she needs, which like I don't feel like society does a great job of for new moms anyways. Um, and since she doesn't have that, I don't think she really gets the chance to like work through that and, you know, be the mom she can be or maybe she wants to be to figure out if it really is nature, nature versus nurture because she doesn't have anyone like supporting her or helping her through it. She doesn't have anyone she can really talk to, let alone her husband and partner in this. Like, Yeah. Okay, the last thing I wanted to talk about is um, this psychological term called the fundamental attribution error. This is like one of the earliest psychological theories. And that's basically that like the, the mis- the misperception or the misalignment between the way we view ourselves in our own lives and the way we look at other people. And I think that throughout this book, we have the tendency to think like, well, if I was a mom, I would be different. If I was had this trauma, I would just go to therapy and I wouldn't do this thing. But I think even through the beginning of this book, I have a lot of empathy for Blythe and I... I don't think that we should distance ourselves from her because, like, what would you do in that scenario? You're not sleeping. You're being tortured all day long by the screams of this child. And then your perfect husband comes back from work from taking 12 hours away from you. And it's like, what's wrong with you? She's great now. You know, and, like, the idea that this would not drive anybody crazy is just, it's just, it's unrealistic. And I think we... That's also what she's torturing herself with. She thought she could do it because she looked at other people and she doesn't know how difficult their experience is too. Also, the way that you literally torture people is my lack of sleep and loud noises. Like, I just feel like lack of sleep is something. This also reminds me of the book Five Days at Memorial. I don't know if you read that. Um, It's excellent. But they talk about basically the hospital's responses to Hurricane Katrina and in New Orleans and how these doctors are functioning on literally no sleep, barely any like food or water. They're functioning like they're in a war zone and the decisions they make and how their brains work, like how completely different it is than the decisions they would make in real life. Um, And like basically their accountability, et cetera, for that. But like, I don't think, I think it's really hard to imagine how that lack of sleep affects your brain, especially because this baby isn't sleeping at all. (laughs) And then like she has all this like anxiety during the day and baby isn't sleeping. And then after she turns a year old, she stops sleeping again. I do think some of that's normal, but her handling it alone is not. I, we just watched the um, Britney Spears documentary on Hulu. (laughs) Oh my God. I didn't know there was a documentary. Oh, it's wild i read about her on reddit the other day it's yeah the like the conservatorship and everything that's going on with her is unbelievable hashtag free britney um but i also feel like this is a similar thing like we were watching this beloved woman absolutely lose her mind after having these kids and having a divorce like she her and kevin federline got a divorce like within a couple of weeks of her second child being born and it's like so she has two kids like a year apart and is going through a divorce and the paparazzi are hounding her and everybody's taking pictures of her making fun of her saying she's losing her mind and it's like what would you do in that scenario how like would you hold it together honestly like no everybody thinks like oh I could do it I would be different 
Exactly. Like, and that's the thing is I feel like we compare it to the people who can. Like, and this is what people, there's probably a fancy psychological term for this too, but you're like, would you hold it together? And I'm sure there are people who've been in worse situations than Britney Spears who did hold it together, right? And then everyone's like, well, you know, blah, 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 did it. And they came out just fine. And her kids are like superstars, blah, blah, blah. But again, there has to be space for both experiences. Um, yeah. So, so far, yeah. I will say overall, this book was very easy to read and so far so good. I'm not like... Um, I'm liking it so far. I'm loving it. Yeah, oh my really god, good. I'm loving it. I think it's so good. I already have so many thoughts. I can't wait to talk about this more. I can't wait to talk about motherhood, attachment, being needed, um, you know, people with insecure attachment styles, which I think is what we're seeing. So much more that we will have to talk about next week. Oh, I can't wait to reopen my psychology book and look up so many of these terms. <laughs> All right, let's do talk talk. Talk talk. Okay. Jen made Paul cute Valentine's gift, and I was like, oh, I'm going to copy that. So then I was like, Jason, we're making Valentine's Day gifts. We're not buying them. And he was like, okay, no problem. And I. Okay, no problem was his reaction. Oh my gosh. He's like, perfect. Yeah, let me build you a plant wall. <laughs> We're like folding laundry. And I said, I think your presence probably be better than mine. You know, wanting reassurance. And he goes, yeah, I'd be surprised if it wasn't. I was like, <laughs> truly so rude. And you know what? It was. So whatever. <laughs> That's but so funny. Do you want to say what his funny. present yeah, was? He like dried, dried, I think, like hang dried roses from our garden and then on one of them, he, like, took all the petals off of it and wrote cute little things and then glued it back together in the exact shape of a rose. So amazing. I truly... What a guy. Yeah, I um, wrote ideas on index cards. <laughs> I love that idea, too, though. Okay, it was that's cute. sweet. Yeah, every month has a date that's, like, an out... Like, I thought about, like, an out-of-the-box date. Something to do that isn't just, like, go to dinner or get takeout. I'm reading Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights. Oh, that's on my list to read this year. Is it good? It's so, it's just like, it's just like exactly like having a conversation with Matthew McConaughey. Like, it's like deep in the way of someone who's done a lot of like hallucinogenics. And like, it's just written. It's very obvious that he just like sat down and wrote it in two weeks. And they were like, looks good. <laughs> Oh, no. But it's funny. I mean, did you listen to his episode on of Armchair Expert? Yeah, with Dax. The stories that he tells in that episode are just absolutely hysterical. It's almost worth... I think this would actually be a good one to buy the audiobook because it'd be so funny to hear him... Is he reading it? ...tell the stories. I think so. Okay, if he's reading it, I might have to, to listen yeah. to him read that to me. I think that would be the preferred method versus reading it, actually, but it's okay. Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney, with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week.
No, it's totally fine. You're like, listen, the overlords of this game are making it so we are genetically engineered to respond to this baby. But yes, and I, I hate that sound. I'm like, get this baby out of here. <laughs> get the baby out. 